You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on. Just quick little disclaimer here. I just want to give everybody a heads up. BLG and I recorded this podcast before the news about Ben Roethlisberger and a few other Steelers going on the COVID-19 list. So when we talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers in the show and we don't mention that, that is why. They all may be back for next week's game, so we wanted to leave it in there. But I also wanted to give you just a little heads up about why you don't hear anything about that. All right, fire up the rest of the show. What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday to you. It is episode 10 of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation alongside Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, Brandon? Stats, always happy to be here with you. And we have a special guest to kick things off, you know, following Monday Night Football. Uh, Stats, I have a preamble to get to here. I, I have this is a big deal because this is a momentous occasion because it's the first time that Mr. Mark Schofield and I are actually on a podcast together. Now, Mark hosts the quarterback factory, the QB factory on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed, along with Michael Kist, who you may recognize listeners from Monday Football Monday. But one thing that Mark always likes to do on the QB factory is bring up a historical reference to start off the show. So I felt like it's only fitting that I bring my own here. Now, this is going to be nowhere as good as Mark's because Mark like dives deep and he's talking about stuff that honestly, I'm not even sure if it's real half the time, but uh, it's always interesting. So my one is simple. And I would like to say that this podcast is like the battle of Yorktown because stats and I were part of the American continental army. Uh, Mark, he's part of the French army and the Monday football Monday podcast is, you know, they're, they're the British. And we're claiming a victory over them here. So this is the Battle of Yorktown. We're surrounding them by all sides. That's my long preamble to start the podcast. That is fantastic, Brandon. That is just <laughs> tremendous. Man, It's it. I, I feel at home now with a little historical reference to kick things off. And you nailed it. You did it. You did me proud, man. It was well done. I could try and make a joke about this game being Adam Gates' <laughs> Waterloo, but that's a different <laughs> war. A different. I, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I was saying to you, Mark, before we started recording, this interview is totally different from what I thought it was going to be when I asked you to come on yesterday because the Jets were in control of this thing. I can't believe I'm saying those words out loud, but they were. It was 27-17. Things were rolling along. And then the fourth quarter happened. What changed in the last quarter of this game? I, I, yeah, you're exactly right, Rob, because you did message me when it was 27-17, and I thought, I'm going to have to start my Tuesday talking about the Patriots losing to the 0-8, previously 0-8 Jets, and that was no way to start a Tuesday. I think what changed was Joe Flacco made the one big mistake. You know, he threw the interception after the Patriots had cut it to 27-20, and it gave them a chance to have those last two possessions to go down and win. 
And I know there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that are saying that, look, the, the tank is on in New York. I mean, they set they sent 12 men on the field on a fourth and four on a field goal attempt from the Patriots and get flagged and gave the New England Patriots a first down. There are people that truly believe that the tank is on, and that's why Flacco threw into double coverage. But I do think, Rob, that's where this game changed because it gave the Patriots another possession, gave them a chance to go down and tie the game, and then they had a bad three and out the Jets' offense did. But this doesn't really fix a lot of things that are existed in New England. This is still a team that is struggling. This is still a defense that gave up three touchdown passes to Joe Flacco in the year 2020. I mean – run that sentence back for me, kids. You know what I'm go- where I'm going with it. So it's a team that has some issues on both sides of the ball. I don't know if they can fix it to really get back into contention. They've got the Baltimore Ravens next Sunday night, which is going to be a tough game. Um, but it's better to win this one than lose it, let's put it that way. Okay, so that's that. I have my question written down here for you, Mark. Am I crazy to say the Jets were the real winners of this game if we're looking about you know the long-term outlook? And we are looking about... Uh, the quarterback situation yeah. and I, I just and parlaying that into that question is like how are we feeling about cam is he the long-term answer uh should other measures be taken at that spot you're the yeah. qb guy so yeah i, I you. took a spin through jets twitter right now most jets fans that i follow most jets fans that i know were celebrating when nick folk drilled that kick because they were seeing visions of Trevor Lawrence like slowly slip away from them, which tells you how they feel about their quarterback position. As for the Patriots, Cam Newton has played well the past couple of weeks. I mean, you look at his numbers, and he's like 42 of 75 for over 400 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, 40 of 60 for 448, no touchdowns, no picks, 19 carries for 70 yards and three touchdowns over the past two weeks. I'd say it's a decision that they're still struggling with, you know, and I I think at the end of the season, they will probably look at perhaps a short term extension, but yet addressing the quarterback position in the draft. I don't think they're going to be in a position now to get one of the top, say, three guys, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. I know some people have made the Zach Wilson you know, potential mock draft picks. And some people have said Kyle Trask, somebody that might be available, say, you know, mid to late first round. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's the way they handle it, if they give a short-term extension to Cam and then try to get somebody in the draft to figure it out. I don't think Jared Stidham's the answer. As much as idiots like me thought that maybe there was something there with Jared Stidham, that one seems to have been a miss because every time he's appeared in a regular season game, he's immediately thrown an interception. So that's probably not the answer. Um, they're, they're figuring it out with Cam. Um, obviously it's a weird set of circumstances with COVID-19, no training camp, then he tests positive for COVID. You know, maybe there are still some lingering effects from it, but he's played decent football the past couple of weeks. And so I, I think people that were given up on Cam, say three weeks ago, starting to maybe warm back up a bit. Well, and that kind of leads into my next question, because to me, what has marked the Patriots throughout this ridiculous dynasty is the way they evolve within a season. They're always better at the end of a season than they are when the season starts. And I was expecting to see that with Cam, especially with McDaniels and Belichick and a mobile quarterback. It was interrupted because of COVID and all the things that you just mentioned. Do you see, though, an evolution with Cam where they are getting more comfortable with him and figuring out what works and how to put him in positions to succeed? I think, Rob, you're starting to see a little bit of that. You saw some more designed rollouts, some sprint out stuff over the past couple of weeks to try to get him 
into scenarios where he's more comfortable. Obviously, they're still trying to involve him as an athlete, using his legs, using him as a runner. I think conceptually in the passing game, they're trying to figure out where he's comfortable. You're seeing a lot more, you know, two and three receiver concepts, more max protection kind of designs to sort of give him more time in the pocket because you do see him slowly working through reads and he's getting better at it, but there's nowhere near the comfort with the playbook that you saw over the last 20 years with Tom Brady, for example. Uh, so he's trying to sort of piece that stuff together. And so what they're doing is giving him less of the field to read a lot more like two and three receiver concepts where it's sort of one, two, three, and then I'll pull it down if I have to run, if I feel like I don't like what I'm seeing downfield. And you saw some examples of that last night where it worked. Um, you know, the late throw to Jacoby Myers had a huge game to g- give them a chance to convert that last fourth down that they needed to. A uh, couple of throws to Damier Bird where it was clear that he was working to his second and third reads in the progressions. And so they're giving him some more stuff where he's comfortable, but it is a work in progress. And you're right. Usually the Patriots get better as we get into November, December, January. It still seems like they're a bit behind that timetable. You know, maybe it is the lingering effects of the lack of training camp. But here we are in November. We still don't have a true idea of what their identity is. Maybe it is just a run-the-ball team that can rely on play-action throws and Cam Newton's athleticism. And hopefully you get a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, which honestly might be their biggest question right now as we start looking ahead to the rest of their season. So big picture here, Mark, like what do Patriots fans want to see uh, the rest of the season? You know, I think that's interesting to think about, you know, coming from an outsider perspective of, you know, every year with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, it's, you know, win the Super Bowl or bust. Like, you know, that's that's the goal. But but we've reached the point you now they're three and five. Um, they have a six point nine nice percent chance at making the playoffs per football outsiders. Right. Uh, the defense ranks 31st in DVOA. We've kind of touched on some of the things with Cam. Like so, so what do Patriots fans actually want to see out of the rest of this season? Realistically, it's it's strange, BLG. Some people are like, "Look, we have an opportunity here to come as close as we ever will as an organization to tank." You know, because Bill Belichick is never going to literally tank. I've I've read people say that he will more likely acquire a tank and take the first overall pick by force than lose games on purpose. Which there may be some truth to that, and I wouldn't put it past Belichick to try that. So there are some people that th- think, look, you know, we get a chance to get a top 10 pick, top seven pick, top five pick, take advantage of that, lose a couple of games. Why are we doing this to ourselves? And then there are others that still think there's something here with this team. Cam's getting better. I'd say it's probably a 50-50 split, to be honest, with people that want to see this team sort of lay down and take advantage of this opportunity. And others that say, look, you look around the AFC, Pittsburgh's good. Kansas City's good. Buffalo's good. Um, but there's a way to get into the playoffs and get Bill Belichick into the playoffs with a week to get ready for an opponent. Who knows what can happen? And so I think it's split. You know, bef- once they lost to Buffalo last week, I was more in the let's take advantage of this camp. Um, and I think I'm still kind of there. A three-point win over the Jets on the final play doesn't exactly show me that this is a team that's ready to make some sort of run. Um, now, if they beat Baltimore – Maybe we change things because then you get to four and five. You start looking around. You've got Houston after that. Um, you've obviously got games with Buffalo and Miami, who looks really good and remaining on the schedule. But, you know, so a lot might ride on this week. But I do think for the most part, it's like 50 50 right now in New England with people that want to see them just take advantage of this opportunity to have a really good pick in the upcoming draft. And people that say, look, Belichick, Mystique, Aura, we can still sort of make a run with this group. Let's say for the sake of this argument that things don't work out for the Patriots. They don't beat Baltimore. It's a lost season and they get, you know, a decent pick, maybe 10, 12 of that range. On a scale of one to 10, what is your confidence level 
that the Patriots can, if they decide to take a quarterback in the first round, really nail this first round pick because I look at their draft history in recent years and I am not very impressed with what I see. You know, it, it, my confidence level on that is somewhere near a one. And oh. the reason for that is, Rob, I saw last night, I believe it was Mark Daniels who covers the Patriots for the Providence Journal, uh, who said that, you know, all you Patriots fans that are clamoring for an early round pick, you know, a top 10 pick are going to be really disappointed when Bill Belichick trades out of that spot. Because that's more likely what Belichick will do. And we've seen it. I said last year before last year's draft, I tweeted out the Rick and Morty gif with Rick and Morty giving everybody the double bird saying, this is going to be Bill Belichick when they trade out and then draft a random safety with their first pick. And what happened? They traded out and drafted a safety from a Division II school. Like, this is Bill Belichick's MO. He could have the first overall pick. And we'd all be saying, here we go. Trevor Lawrence, baby. And he drafts some random safety from Vanderbilt or trades out of it. Like that's how they've done things. And so my level of confidence, even before we get robbed to their rather shaky draft history, which is rather shaky. You know, the reason they were good for 20 years is because they drafted Tom Brady in the first round. They drafted him in the sixth round. They passed on him multiple times. I mean, Belichick does things differently and they've missed on a lot of picks. Nikhil Harry might be the most recent example of that passing on DK Metcalf twice. Um, So yeah, my confidence level isn't exactly high that, if they have an early pick, they would even make it, let alone pick the right quarterback. Well, Mark, you've helped us solidify our position here on the Oddcast as the premier NFL, SB Nation NFL Network show. So I thank you for coming on. And uh, you do a billion things. You're on BGN. You're on Big Blue View. You're, you're on Pat's Popa, obviously the Patriots. Your touchdown wire. What did I miss here? Let's Let's just plug it all. I, I think you got it all, BLG. I do do some work for Matt Waldron's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. I do do some work for uh, footballguys.com, but uh, you you got the other stuff well, so I appreciate that. And thanks, guys, for letting me uh, jabber about the Patriots to start off my Tuesday. Fun way to go. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks again to Mark Schofield from Pat's Pulpit and, as you said, BLG, basically a million other things. And you were so excited to get to Mark that you skipped your normal pre-show or early show thank you round. I did. Uh, so sorry to everyone for that, but I'm making up for it now, giving a shout out to all the hashtag odd squad members. Uh, we have Tom in the Apple podcast reviews saying he's an Eagles fan who's thankful to listen to the league wide stories, especially this year, you know, cause the Eagles are not the most entertaining team to hear about. Uh, so a shout out to myself and Michael Kiston there. Uh, stats we need more we need more love for stats in these reviews I, I will say that so definitely do that another one from Jersey Bird 3 saying he will follow Mike BLG and Michael Kist anywhere uh, so you know this is kind of like the cult thing that Kist always talks about that I have kind of started uh, and then we have Oddcast for the win and this is from Skeletor P. Funk started listening to this feed because of the Oddcast big fan of BLG from BGN does worry me somewhat, though. When is Brandon sleeping? That's a really good question. And also, I'm sure everyone just loves hearing me read positive reviews about myself. But come on, we're the positive reviews for stats. Let's get some of those going. Let's add some new ratings and reviews in the Apple podcast feed. So five stars, leave a rating review, and then you can stop. Well, you can, well you'll hear the shout out that we give to you, but then we'll move into the actual football, which we will do now. Yeah, by the way, just really quick, Skeletor P. Funk, five-star name, like outstanding by him or her. Love it. All right, let's get into some of the power rankings, which you can always find on bleedinggreennation.com. They are 100% correct. That's what makes them different from other people's power rankings. So, you know, if you want the real rankings, you come to this show 
And let me just read the top 10 like I usually do here. Number one, no surprise, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were number one last week. Had some trouble with Dallas, but got it done. So they still remain at one. Chiefs at two. Saints at three, jumping up two spots from number five last week. Ravens at four, also jumping up two spots. They were six last week. The Seahawks now dropped to number five after their loss. Green Bay goes up one spot to number six. The Titans at number seven. The Bills at number eight. Tampa Bay at nine. And the Miami Dolphins, BLG, at 10. And let's start there because you were actually super high on the Dolphins for a little while. We had to cut out some of what you said in last week's show because they made the switch to Tua. But you've been high on the Dolphins for a while. Yeah, I would like to say, you know, just another example how I'm always right on this show. Uh, look no further than what I said about the Dolphins. I didn't make it into the show, but for real, though, I mean, this team is exciting stats. They are ninth in DVOA. They are fourth in point differential. They have a good head coach. We know that. Brian Flores has certainly proved himself to be a very good head coach. They have a promising young rookie quarterback, you know, who uh, Tua coming off, you know, a much better game against the Cardinals than he did in his first start last week against a tough Rams defense. And like on top of all this, like just going beyond this year, I mean, they still have all these draft picks they got from trades they made last year. Like they weren't even supposed to be this good, this fast. And they are, and they're in the mix for a wild card spot at least. And at the time, I think the exact line I said is to you, and this is when Fitzpatrick was starting. And I was like, is it so crazy that they could actually make a run at the AFC East? And you didn't think so at the time because of Fitzpatrick. But how are you feeling about that now? I, first of all, I knew that Tua was going to be better this game than he was in his first game. It was his first game. Plus, that was a weird game. They scored a lot of different ways. So he didn't actually have some of the possessions that he would normally have. This week, you got to see him control the ball more. I was really impressed, BLG. I was impressed with his mobility, his scrambling ability, some of the throws he made, especially on the move. Like, I was, I did not think he was going to be this good, but, you know, sometimes we forget that he was the number one guy that everybody wanted before he got hurt at Alabama. It was tank for Tua. And we're kind of seeing that now. I was really impressed. And when you have a good head coach like the Dolphins have, like you said, there's no reason why they can't be right in the mix for things. I have to say, I think you nailed this one. I think you were dead on. The Dolphins are for real. And like you said, they've got the best of both worlds now because not only do you have the hope of a really good young quarterback, but with all those picks, I mean, they're in position now. You can't be in a better position than the Dolphins are in. Probably, I would say, among the entire league, they're probably in the best spot. Yeah, it's exciting. Like that's like, that's the word I'll emphasize again here. Like there, it's just a like how could you not feel good about this team again? Not only in the short term but the future. I mean, even looking at their schedule stats. I mean, they have the Chargers up next. Who oh, I just feel so bad for them. We, we can, maybe we can get to them later. They <laughs> they can't win a game, but that's going to be awesome. You know, Tua and Herbert. Uh, then they have the Broncos in Denver. They play the Jets, still winless as we know, and then the Bengals. Uh, that's their next four before they play the Chiefs. So, I mean, they have a chance to stack some wins here and really like solidify themselves again, at the very least, as a wild card spot, uh, if not outright finding a way to potentially win the AFC East or at least like be in the conversation. The Dolphins play the Bills in week 17. Like, there's a chance they could be in that game and that game could be that, like, meaning that game could be for the AFC East title. I did not realize that their schedule was as good as it looks. First of all, regardless of what happens, they're going to just be fun to watch for the rest of the year. I totally agree. I mean, you you have convinced me the Dolphins are for real, for sure. 
I do want to get to Arizona since since we're talking about that game because I I don't understand it. Well, you know, we do a thing on the show called Make It Make Sense, Brandon. So make this make sense to me. The Arizona Cardinals, they're trying to win the game. It's fourth and one. There's a minute and 58 seconds left. They're at the Miami 31-yard line. They kick a field goal, 49-yarder. Zane Gonzalez was short, and they go on to lose. Why, why, when you have Kyler Murray as your quarterback, is Cliff Kingsbury kicking a 49-yard field goal with two minutes to go in the game? Stats, where does Cliff Kingsbury come from? Who is the other head coach that was cited as like the reason why the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury? Sean McVay. Yeah, it was, he's a Sean McVay disciple. And what do I say about Sean McVay? He's a coward. And <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury has clearly learned from that cowardice. I mean, it is pathetic for a head coach to be kicking a 49-yard field goal attempt when you already know that your kicker, you know, it's kind of shaky. You know, we saw that from the Seahawks game. Uh, there's 158 left in the game, and this is the tie of the game. I mean, even if you make that kick, there's still plenty of time for the Dolphins to go down and get at least a game-winning field goal of their own. I mean, this is a game where it's so clear, like, like a lot of games you can kind of parse through or kind of maybe split the blame between the quarterback and the head coach. Like, no. This is not one of those games. This is clearly on the head coach and not the quarterback. Kyler Murray, according to Pro Football Reference stats, is the first quarterback in NFL history to throw 25 or more times, have a passer rating of 150 plus, and then lose the game. Oh, and by the way, he also had 100 yards rushing. So this is total. This loss, 100% on Cliff Kingsbury, and uh, you hate to see it. Well, and this is what I don't understand because in the Seattle game. Kingsbury went conservative again. He kicked the field goal before fourth down. It didn't work out for them. And Kyler Murray said to Kingsbury, don't ever go conservative again. I got you. Like, I'll take care of you. And, you know, so we thought, okay, this is the lesson for Kingsbury. Like, he should, he made a stupid decision, but he'll learn from it. And here we are, and it's the same situation, and Kingsbury goes conservative again. That has to piss off Kyler Murray. It's coaching scared, and it's it's a shame because part of the uh, going for it mentality should be like having faith in your players and rewarding those players. And if Kyler Murray is playing as well as he is in this game, how do you, as the head coach, say no? We don't trust you. Like, what is that? Like, how do you do that, especially to a player you know in his second year? Like, give him an opportunity to prove himself. If you fail with him, then like you can live with that. You tried, you know, you tried to win the game. You didn't try to just tie the game. Uh, although I know you like Ty's stats, you like you like Ty, so that's that's a big. This is probably uh, actually totally different situation. <laughs> I know I'm teasing, uh, but yeah, Kingsbury is a coward. What do we always say? Do the thing, right? Do the thing that works. What would the Dolphins have rather had you do? Attempt the field goal or go for the fourth down with the ball in Kyler Murray's hands? Of course they would say the field goal, and you did the thing that your opponent would want you to do. It's amazing to me that these head coaches make this same mistake over and over and over again. Speaking of head coaches making mistakes or really just not being able to close out game stats. I, I mentioned the Chargers earlier. I wanted to, to to swing to them because I just I couldn't even imagine being a Chargers fan. It's just it's just heartbreak all the time. Like I did not move them down in my power rankings. I feel like I haven't even moved them that like there will be what two and six here. 
I have them at 21 because I, I just feel like they're a better team. They're a better team than that. Like they should have won. They should have won this week. They should have won a bunch of other games. It feels like this season. Uh, and it's really sad that they can't finish. And at some point, you know, it has to come down on Anthony, Anthony Lynn, right? Well, I thought that this, that the, the charger game, basically the script for the charger game forever was chargers are down by four. There's like a minute left. They maybe have one timeout and they have to go win it. And Rivers usually either would go win it or he would throw an interception. I thought that was all going to end now that Phillip Rivers is in Indianapolis. Well, it turns out it's not a quarterback thing. Like you said, maybe it's an Anthony Lynn thing or a Charger thing or I don't know what, but they seem to always be in that situation at the end of a game where it's really close. And more often than not, I feel like they end up on the wrong side of those. And I don't know what to blame it on. Maybe it's Lynn. I don't know what sort of voodoo magic funk the Chargers are in, but they can't seem to get out of it, which is a shame because Justin Herbert looks like an absolute baller. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you look at how well Herbert has played this year, and the fact that they only have two wins is, like, such a crime. Like, he deserves to have more wins. Like, he's played well enough. And, again, only one of those wins is his, you know, because Tyrod Taylor started the first one uh, early in the year, and they they honestly really didn't even deserve to win that game. So uh, it's pretty unfair that Herbert has been as good as he is, and and it's just like the team, they just can't finish. They can't get it done. It's, It's so demoralizing. And yeah, I don't know how you change that. Is, is it you just focus on your process and think eventually it'll flip your way? Or like, is there actually a systemic thing that you need to change? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say it's the curse, but, you know, I don't I don't know if it's actually that uh, as much as it's just like if you're you know, if you're pointing figures and you have to at some point here. I mean, I, I, I think Lynn would be the one to start with. Um, I don't think it's like the roster is flawed. I don't think the GM is doing a bad job. I, th- I think it's ultimately comes out of the coaching. How can you play that bad in jerseys that look that good? And oh, my, did you <laughs> see those Navy jerseys? They were awesome. Love the Chargers jerseys. Love. There's so much to love about the Chargers. Fun quarterback. Uh, you know, they have these no name guys making plays everywhere. Kenyon Allen is awesome when he's healthy. Um, it's, it's just such a shame. Sorry, Charger fans. I wish we had better news, but at least you have one of the best young quarterbacks in the league for sure. Um, I want to go to the top of the power rankings because the Steelers, you went on a rant earlier this year saying, stop saying the Steelers haven't beaten anybody. They're really good. This is a great team. Give the Steelers some love. And yet they play the Cowboys, BLG. And the, Garrett, they play the Cowboys and Garrett Gilbert at quarterback. And I mean, they struggled. It was an absolute battle in this one. Do you want to revise your earlier position about how good the Steelers are? Uh, not really, you know, because big Ben got hurt in there. That's an issue. Um, and that is concerning, you know, moving forward, I will admit that, but I'm going to give the Steelers some benefit of the doubt here and kind of chalk this up to being a trap game. You know, it's like a, it's a out of conference opponent. Um, Dallas, you know, it had been like there's every reason to underestimate the Cowboys given how poorly they've played. Um, you know, it's Garrett Gilbert's what was like first start. You don't really tell like you film on him and know what to expect. Sometimes quarterbacks who never play can get like a jump on a team. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about the Steelers really. I, I'm going to chalk this up to more just being like kind of a blip on the radar as opposed to this like long term issue. Um, although, you know, not great to see them trailing Dallas for most of the game. And then obviously the Cowboys having a chance to win even on the final play. But but yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to I'm not ready to like 
renege on what I've said about them. I considered moving them down from number one just because Chiefs are still around. Patrick Mahomes, 27 touchdowns, one total uh, rushing and throwing, and just one interception. And the Chiefs also have the NFL's best point differential. But, you know, they kind of didn't look perfect against the, uh, the the Panthers either. So ultimately, I kept the Steelers at number one, and I feel okay about that. And the Steelers are careening towards the number one seed in the AFC. Look at the rest of their schedule. They play Cincinnati, Jacksonville. They got a tough game against the Ravens, but they also have Washington in there. Another game against Cincinnati, the Browns game in week 17. Like the Steelers are on their way to a number one seed in the AFC. I'm interested to see how this week goes, though. I feel like this is, you know, you're coming off this disappointing performance and this is kind of the test, right? It's like, okay. Was the Dallas game a sign of more issues to come or was it really just, you know, kind of a blip on the radar? Like I said, I think for the from the Bengals side, this is like Joe Burrow's uh, chance at like a signature win and like a, a really, uh, you know, Bengals probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, not impossible, but like if they were going to have a chance and go on an unlikely run here, like this could be the, the game that gets them started. I, I wouldn't I'm, I'm totally like. I'm not ready to totally rule out the Bengals uh, pulling off an upset here. When you got a quarterback, man, that's the thing. There's so many good young quarterbacks now. I feel like everybody's got a puncher's chance in these games. That's always nice when you have a quarterback who's playing well. I definitely know about that. that? We we both definitely know about that as Eagles (laughs) and 49ers observers. What? uh, Yeah, I would like to experience that. I want to know what that's like. Let's stick in that division, though, because I was getting ready to absolutely crush Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, that first half against the Colts, their offense was lifeless. I think they ran for like 18 yards in the first half. Indianapolis was dominating the line of scrimmage. Lamar was not looking very good. And for the first time in his career, he gets a win after trailing at halftime. They come roaring back. They win. Where do you put the Ravens right now? I know their power rankings, what do you have? Number four, up two spots. Yeah, it's weird because I feel like the Ravens haven't, really impressed this year you know like that, that seems like a crazy thing to say for how good they are but it's all relative to expectation and I just think the offense hasn't it doesn't look right still and that kind of doesn't matter because their defense is so dominant they're allowing the fewest points per game in the league at just under 18 um, so that's obviously been able to help them get by but like Lamar doesn't look totally right the offense doesn't look totally right. And now, to be fair here, the Colts have a really good defense, and it's very legitimate. So it's not like I was expecting them to light up the Colts there. But still, like there's been too much of a trend um, here where the, the Ravens' offense doesn't look right. It's even something that I think I mentioned before that like a lot of Ravens, I think, fans and media have kind of been harping on. Uh, and it feels weird because of how much success they're having. But it's like something just doesn't feel right. Uh, and that's where I'm at with them still. Like They're, they're good. Um, I have them at four, like, obviously I think highly of them, but they're still like below that elite level tier. Like they're still clearly below the chiefs to me. And, uh, and then even the Steelers, obviously the Steelers beating them last week. I would agree with that. I think that that's accurate. Um, the one thing I saw that I was really encouraged by is in the second half of that game, it's not like they, you know, pounded the ball running. What they did was they went up tempo with their offense, which you know, they kind of came back on the on the strength of Lamar. He goes 10 for 10, doesn't throw an incompletion in the second half, gets the rushing touchdown. It was nice to see them sort of say, hey, we're putting the ball in your hands. We'll go up tempo to try and, you know, help you out a little bit. And he finally came through. Uh, why don't I give you a chance here to uh, 
talk about the Seahawks. You, you know, you just love to crush me on this angle about the defense. I mean, look, when you have one of the worst defenses in the history of the NFL, it's unfair to your quarterback to make him have to continually be the MVP of MVPs every single week. It's going to come back to bite you. And when you play an offense with a quarterback that's actually competent, unlike the 49ers were when they played the Seahawks, this is what happens. Josh Allen absolutely terrorized them all day long. And I think it was a little bit personal because Josh Allen and Jamal Adams have a little bit of a history there. So I think Josh was looking for a little payback. But this is what the Seahawks are. An incredible offense and an incredibly bad defense. And I think that's going to show up more and more and more throughout the season. Yeah, Seahawks are allowing the third most points per game. I still think Russell Wilson's greatness will ultimately have this team in a good spot. I think they're still going to finish with the top two seed, actually. That's that's part of the takeaway here. Uh, going beyond the Seahawks, even as I pivot out of that, is like the NFC is wide open stats. Like there's no juggernaut team at the top. I mean, I have the Saints at the top of my rankings here at uh, number three. Obviously, they deserve that after blowing out the Bucks. But like the Saints weren't looking all that good. We were talking about that before this week. Like they had four games there that they had only won by like what, three points or so, a couple in overtime. And those could have gone the other way at points. Um, so, I mean, you, you know, you could say the Saints, they're the number one seed right now, and they're getting Michael Thomas back. So that, that's pretty big. Uh, and having that tiebreaker over Tampa is huge now, uh, both in the NFC South and as that pertains to potentially getting that number one seed in the playoffs. Um, but as a whole, though, like it's kind of wide open. It's anyone's game. It's not like the AFC, where I think, again, it's like clearly Pittsburgh and Kansas City. And if you really want to flip those, you can at the top uh, and then other teams beyond that. I really think the NFC is just like it's it's wide open. The playoff field is the, the whole playoff picture wide open. Is the NFC filled with a bunch of really good teams or is it filled with a bunch of mediocre, not mediocre, but, you know, OK teams that can flash from time to time? I think these teams have fatal flaws. I think that's what it comes down to. And, you know, when they get hit hard, they can, they can all look bad. I mean, you know, the Saints, again, they've, they've played in these close games. You have to worry about how Drew Brees holds up, you know, ultimately going going through the stretch into the playoffs. Uh, Tampa Bay, you know, Tom Brady, terrible game. He typically bounces back from those. But, you know, we'll see here. Uh, you know, the Seahawks' defense is obviously terrible. The Packers can't really stop the run and or they can they can get destroyed by the running game so and then Rodgers obviously has been hot more than not um but you know they they get blown out by the bucks so it's kind of there's a lot of parody i think in the nfc and yeah i don't think it's that they're they're mediocre as much as this lot this kind of flawed they're just not quite like the elite of the elites does the same apply to the afc teams like if you had to pick a fatal flaw for the steelers can you can you find one? Because I don't know that I can. Yeah, I can't. I mean, other than like Roethlisberger's health, you want to say? Because, yeah. um, you know, he's getting banged up here. But even still, like, you know, look look what they did last year without him. They were still like a competent team. They went eight and eight. Um, now, obviously, that's not going to be good enough. Mason Rudolph probably not going to be good enough, you know, if he's missing time in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's just a different level. I, I would, And that's why I have the Steelers and the Chiefs, you know, above the Saints and any of the other NFC teams. Yeah, I think the AFC has clearly shown itself to be the superior conference. And, I mean, 
honestly, I I feel like it's setting itself up to be the superior conference for years to come. You look at Lamar is a young quarterback. Josh Allen is a young quarterback. Mahomes is obviously fantastic. Like, I don't know who in the NFC is taking these teams down. Tua, Herbert, you know, right. Burrow. It's yeah. crazy. And the NFC is like, who's who's the best in the NFC? Wilson. Okay. He's getting older. He's got a lot, you know, he'll still play for a while, but he's what, 30 now, I think. Uh, yeah, he's getting up there. And then even, you know, Brady, he's going to be done, you know, sooner Reed. than not. Rodgers. Rodgers. Yeah, it's a really good point, Stats. I mean, you, you know, you have Kyler Murray uh, on the come up, but um, yeah, that's a good point. That is it. It's going to be Kyler Murray's conference. Oh, God. <laughs> Stats coming to the realization on the podcast that the 49ers are doomed. Is there any other team you want to discuss before we head out of here? Um, not really. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, well, I, I should probably talk about the Eagle stats because, you know, a lot of Eagles fans listen to the Oddcast because of me and, uh, you know, people they didn't just love even me. Play. Well, I will say, though, that they're getting healthier and they gained some ground in the NFC East while on their bye. And that doesn't really mean much to me, but it will be a disgrace if they don't win this division. Like, it's terrible. Stats three of the teams in the NFC East right now would be picking in the top five of the NFL draft like that. It's so pathetic. It's honestly, I think the Eagles can probably get to five and a half wins here. So really basically just need to win two or I think they probably need to win two or three more games just to clinch the NFC East. And I guess to bring this up on a more, well, first of all, I will say I, I was very thankful the Eagles didn't play this week's stats because they, they couldn't disappoint. They couldn't stress me out. Just didn't have to watch them. But on a kind of national conversation here, I think we should probably mention quickly that, you know, the NFL is proposing this playoff contingency plan. And that could negatively impact a team like the Eagles who right now, you know, they would get the number four seed and be able to host the home playoff game. But if the NFL playoff contingency plan goes into effect, which would basically mean, you know, if game meaningful games are getting canceled and they can't finish the season in either the 17 or 18 weeks, um, the Eagles would be the eighth seed. They would lose their chance at a home game. And I think fairly so, but isn't that kind of interesting that they would just change that on the fly? I think they should change it. If you're going to like, clearly this is an unprecedented season, right? So you can change whatever you want. I mean, baseball changed all sorts of crazy rules this year. If I'm the NFL, you know what I say? We're going to take the top eight teams from each conference. Forget about divisions. We're throwing that out. This way here, you eliminate the whole NFC East. You don't have to worry about a, a no offense, a crap team getting a playoff game, maybe a home playoff game. Scrap that whole thing and go with the top eight from each conference. Yeah, and to be clear here, this would be, you know, so it's still the top four teams, uh, you know, still the four division winners, and then the next four, so basically four wildcard spots after that. Um, I think it's a little weird that they're doing it in season. Um, like, I, I'm not trying to defend the Eagles here. Trust me, they don't deserve it. I'm not, I'm not saying they deserve it. I just think it's a little strange. I, but that's definitely something I feel like we should be talking about, and by we, I mean the league, uh, in the offseason is kind of making this change. I think... You know, it's it's kind of just arbitrary to to say a division winner deserves a home playoff game if they're going to be as terrible as this. <laughs> Is this the worst division in the history of football? I mean, again, I think the Eagles can really win this division at like five, ten, or in one. So probably, if that's the case, how could you lose twice as many games as you win and get in the playoffs? It's really sad. 
would you be would you feel like you were screwed out of something if the league did say this year forget the division we're taking the top eight teams no 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 not at all (laughs) definitely not i think you know i think a lot of eagles fans too would appreciate not making the play obviously a a bunch of people do want to make the playoffs and i think there's some value in you know if carson wentz kind of goes on an unexpected tear here in the end of the season or even just getting him a playoff game under his belt there's value in that but like you know on the whole i think uh (laughs) i don't think too many people would be losing sleep about or seeing the Eagles as a team that doesn't deserve to make the playoffs. Shame on us. We almost forgot our survivor picks, BLG. I know that people count every week on our sage advice for who to pick. So what do you got for week 11? Yes, almost forgot and not actually forgot and not recording this after the fact. Definitely seamlessly. Um, I have the Minnesota Vikings stats against the Bears. The Bears have won or lost three straight. Your prediction about them not making the playoffs barring that whole NFL playoff contingency plan, you know, there's eight seeds, uh, is looking pretty good um, because they would be the eighth seed if the season ended today. Dalvin Cook has been awesome these past couple weeks. He has 56 offensive touches for 478 yards from scrimmage and six touchdowns. Now, I think, you know, the Vikings are not good enough to be actually good teams because, because, you know, Kirk Cousins struggles. They're going to limit them from doing that. But Dalvin Cook's good enough to help them beat bad teams. And I think the Vikings uh, can be good enough. I think Cook can help them be good enough to help beat the Bears, who are struggling and have some fans even calling for Nick Foles to be benched for Mitchell Trubisky. I think it would have happened if Trubisky didn't bang up his shoulder in the one game he played a week ago. He probably would have been back on the field. I mean, Foles looked. Awful. Like their offense looks completely incompetent at times. I, I just, I have no confidence in them. I feel even better now about my bears prediction. Good job by you. I've said it before. Sometimes I think the best strategy for a survivor pool is to just pick on certain teams. And I have no problem with you picking on the bears, especially as you said, with Dalvin cook, just absolutely rolling the way he has so far. I am not going to be daring this week. I'm going to take the saints over the 49ers. (laughs) For obvious reasons. The 49ers have nobody. I mean, they've got some guys coming back who couldn't play because of the whole COVID fiasco. Nick Mullins is garbage. Absolute trash. And as long as he's the quarterback, they have no hope of anything. This To me, this is an easy one. The 49ers just do not have the weapons to compete with the Saints on offense. Their defense is good, but they get so fatigued by the end of the game because the offense can't put drives together. They just have nothing left. I think the Saints are going to roll over the Niners, and I think it, I feel pretty comfortable about that. Yeah, I thought it was crazy how the uh, 49ers ended the game as only 6.5 underdogs on Thursday night football against the Packers. I mean, that's like stealing money if you're taking Green Bay there. I mean, the the 49ers are just so depleted. They have no-name players playing everywhere at this point between COVID absences and the injuries. Yeah, that's, that's a lock for the Saints. Literally no one that touched the ball in the NFC Championship game on offense played against the Packers in that game, which is just incredible. It was like the Packers are facing a totally different team. Like I said, there'll be some guys back this week against the Saints. I know Richard Sherman might come back. He's been out for a while. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. The spread in that game is Saints by nine and a half. I think I would even give the points if I was going to bet that game. So in the survivor pool, I'll definitely take New Orleans. That's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. You'll get this show plus the four other less relevant shows that we do every day during the week. And uh, we appreciate all your comments and your ratings and your reviews. Please keep them coming. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.
and maybe even sooner than that on Thursday. See here. Okay. See now here's the thing. We were supposed to have BLG on the look ahead a couple weeks ago and he totally flaked on us and left us hanging and didn't come on. So now he's trying to make up for his malfeasance a few weeks ago by trying to weasel his way back on the show. I think it'd be fun. And hey, look, I don't even think Deal's going to win this week. So we could we could get into that then. You know, see, here's the thing, okay? And I can only explain it this way. A few years ago, I went to Italy. And on the plane home from Italy, they came around with food. And they were like, we either have Twix or we have a seed cracker thing. And I don't know what happened. I blacked out. But somehow I ended up with the seed cracker thing. And my friends who were with me will never let me forget it. No matter how many Twix I eat the rest of my life, I'm still down one Twix that I should have had. And the same applies to you. No matter how many shows you come on in the future, I'm still down one BLG appearance that I should have had. Well, what should I do? I'm, I'm just I'm just crap out of luck. Yep, that's it. There's nothing you can do. You have to live with your shame forever. All right. Well, that's fair. We should probably end the show now, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you next week.